Better Call Paul is a production of Lola Media. Say hi, Lola. Hey, everyone. This is Paul Sarker from Better Call Paul. Just wanted to remind you that the show is intended for entertainment purposes only and is not legal advice. I am not your lawyer unless we separately agree for me to represent you. And the views expressed by Mesh and me are solely our own. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Better Call Paul, the show where we discuss the legal and business side behind the scenes of Hollywood. I'm your co-host, Paul Sarker, former Marvel lawyer and current big law attorney. Hey, Paul, and I'm your other co-host, Mesh Lakani, founder of Lola Media, pop culture enthusiast. I apologize if I don't sound fantastic, but I'm, you know, I'm still here. Yeah, not to harp on your pain here, but Mesh is recovering from COVID. Thankfully, he's recovering and he's a trooper, so we're still going to do the episode, but you may hear some coughs. Paul, I went 27 months. It was a 27-month streak, not catching COVID. I honestly, I honestly thought, like, at one point, people kept telling me, like, oh, man, you must have that, like, good blood, and I started believing it. Or that gene, that, right? That immunity yeah, gene? Yeah, I honestly thought I was immune, and I felt like, you know, like a mutant or something. I went to an outdoor wedding in Connecticut and got it at an outdoor wedding. I didn't even get it at something like, oh, you should have gotten it. You know, you went to this thing, you should have gotten COVID. I went to an outdoor wedding where people were being super responsible and I got COVID and now I'm just like, I guess the rest of the world. And, you know, it hit me pretty hard. I couldn't go watch Top Gun for that reason this week. One of the biggest movies of the summer, if not ever. I'm hearing it's one of the best movies. It's his best, Tom Cruise's best movie, right? Or biggest opening weekend? Biggest opening weekend, 150 million opening box office, which I didn't realize he's only had one other $100 million opening, which is War of the World, Steven Spielberg. And then I went back and looked at all the other movies, and they're like 60 million, 68 million, 70 million. And they all end up making a shit ton of money, but the opening is not like that, that massive. If you're accustomed to what Marvel does, it's not like that. It's not in that echelon, but this is obviously huge for him and great. I haven't seen it either, but hopefully when you're feeling up for it, maybe we go watch it together. Dude, I'm down. I'm down. I mean, look, this thing is taking over TikTok. Like the world wants more Top Gun. It's just like everyone's into Top Gun right now. The first movie's trending on the streaming platforms. It was on Netflix. Now it's on Amazon Prime. It just switched as of June 1st. Miles Teller is all over TikTok. Like everyone's like just loving this kid. I mean, it's amazing. I actually read somewhere that someone said, what movie was it where they were spending all this marketing budget on Elvis? You know, at Con, it was like the big, we talked about it last week. It was supposed to be the, it's supposed to be the big Elvis movie. Elvis looks really good, actually. It does I look mean. really good. And then it's like Top Gun, Throw everything on TikTok, trending everywhere. And Top Gun is just having a PR absolute field day with the amount of people that are loving what has just happened. A friend told me to watch it in that 4DX or whatever where the seats move. Said it's it's fun watching that. I've never even thought about doing that, but maybe I will. Congrats to Tom Cruise. Sorry that you have COVID. Thanks, bud. And sorry, uh, listeners, you may hear some coughing every once in a while, but we are not in the same location, so we are socially distant following all applicable protocols. Tribeca Film Festival kicks off next week. Hopefully we can have one of the stars or someone from behind the scenes on the show next week. That would be great. We'll leave that till next week. Just want to do a quick update yeah. on that. There's some good movies in there. I think there's some good movies to talk about. Oh, for sure. Robert De Niro's been 
instrumental in the whole revival of the independent film scene in New York and everything. So Yeah, the one thing I'll say is that one thing that would be cool, I don't know if you were a Heat fan. Sure, of course. Al Pacino and Robert De Niro are doing a screening of Heat together at the Tribeca Film Festival. A couple years ago, I went to a screening of Dog Day Afternoon at the, it's like the famous theater on Sunset Boulevard, the Dome, Arclight Dome, with Al Pacino. And you know what? It was cool. He's a great guy. But it didn't make me like the movie for whatever reason. Like, <laughs> yeah. I just thought it was one of those very slow plotting movies. But he's a different story. And another just quick thing we wanted to touch on. Two stories this week that relate to prior episodes of Better Call Paul. Yeah. yeah. Actually, things come full circle. Our first episode, if you remember, go back and listen to it if you haven't yet. The main topic was Village Roadshow Pictures was suing Warner Brothers for putting The Matrix on HBO Max at the same time as it was released theatrically. And the whole thing was Village Roadshow said it was kind of a subterfuge. They accelerated the release date into 2021 because they made this announcement that all their movies would be simultaneously released on HBO Max and streaming in the calendar year 2021. We're not going to rehash all of the facts of the suit. I just wanted to say I pointed out that this was probably going to go to arbitration and it did, right? Because the contract, I haven't seen the contract, but I assume there's an arbitration clause. So although Village Roadshow tried to sue and have this sort of play out in the public, Warner Brothers said, no, 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 confidential binding arbitration. That's what we got to do. And that's where it's headed. Well, you nailed it. That's why they pay you the big bucks. Well, that's why, I mean, a lot of clients, I mean, it's not unanimous by any means, but it's certainly, there's a strong preference for binding arbitration to keep these sorts of disputes out of the public eye. Right, 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 right. I mean, hence why, you know, probably, yeah, I, that makes sense. And then episode three, which was actually, I can't believe how long ago this was. This was when Russia started, commenced the invasion of Ukraine three months ago. And we talked about how the sanctions were being implemented because nations were not going to pursue a militaristic approach to sort of prevent this. And one of the sanctions was impacting Roman Abramovich, who owns Chelsea, one of the Premier League elite teams. And so that essentially three months ago that started off an auction process and now Chelsea was sold. The team was sold for $5.3 billion to a consortium that's led by Todd Bowley, who, if you haven't heard the name, he also is a significant owner of the Dodgers, the Lakers, the Sparks, and just an overall media, entertainment media, esports. Hollywood guy too, right? He's a, yeah, he, I think he owned the Hollywood Reporter. He's the president of Hollywood, maybe Foreign Press. He's an entertainment player. finance guy with an entertainment yeah. interest, and he owns a lot of sports teams now. So. Yeah, I mean, to put $5.3 billion together, I mean, again, to buy, what, a top three football club? Like, that's yeah. pretty impressive. You can't get into a, a sports, and we should do another episode on this because I actually do have a fair amount of clients that are bidding for teams, and we, a lot of what we do is helping funds and super high net worth folks buy and sell teams. Sure. It's a very rarefied club to be in. And the valuations for teams has just kind of skyrocketed. I don't know from a finance perspective what the cumulative ag aggregate or annualized growth is, but I think it's got to be double digits. Because I remember 15, 20 years ago, teams were like a couple hundred million or a sure. hundred, two hundred sure. million. Now they're like two, three, four billion. I think the Yankees are probably valued at $5 billion. The Cowboys are probably valued at $5 billion, these cornerstone franchises. And Chelsea selling for $5 billion is not surprising. Do you think that if it wasn't something dealing with, obviously, sanctions and stuff, that 
it would have gone for more money? Like if it was up for him to sell? Tough to say. It's, I'm just curious because it's such a massive team. It's got such international appeal. It's possible. I mean, he was a motivated seller. But so 2019, Todd Bowley offered $3 billion and he rejected it. Three years later, ah, he's okay. offering, what, 62% more? You know, something like that. And he had to take it. Who knows? You know, if the sanctions weren't happening and he didn't have to sell. He's a very sophisticated guy. I'm sure the bankers were all over this in terms of trying to squeeze every last dollar. But at the same right, time, right. if you know someone's got to sell, then that's, you know, when you're making these decisions, and we do this all the time, we're negotiating purchase agreements and doing the diligence on assets. It's like, how motivated is the other side to get this thing done? Because whether or not there were closing conditions or whatever, I mean, once you had the purchase price kind of locked, you know, the deal had to go forward. But there may have been someone out there that, barring the sanctions, would have been willing to pay more. Or it's possible that he could say, no, my price is seven or eight or nine, or, or there's no price at all, right? Because I'm not required mm. to sell it. So he may have held on to it for another 10, 20 years. We just we sure. have no idea. Yeah, and you would assume, like, you know, again, it's such a high-quality team and, so, and the, right. it's such a big brand that, like, it's not like a fire sale. It's like there's probably people out there being like, this is our once-in-a-lifetime chance to get this team right now. Let's get it done. Because other people, I would assume it wasn't just one person in the mix trying to buy this team. No, I'm sure it wasn't. But I mean, how many people on the face of the planet can <laughs> pony up five billion or, you know, put a syndicate together to raise sure, sure. five or six billion dollars to buy a team? I mean, the valuations may support it. And I know equity markets are struggling and things like that. And sp That's also sports true. have been a relatively safe bet. But you also have to want to own a team, right? Because it's not like any other kind of business, right? Like running a sports team, you have to kind of be a fan too. And it used to be, this was the playground of billionaire. Like, you know, someone makes their way in finance or business or whatever, and then they buy Sells a team. Sells their company, yeah. Yeah, and then that's their thing, right? And you know, Jerry Jones and the Cowboys or Shad Khan and the Jaguars. But now you start to see these people owning multiple teams or like yeah. shares in multiple teams. And yeah, it's yeah. like, I guess it's never enough, right? For me, you know, the Philadelphia Eagles would probably be enough, but you never know. Yeah, I mean, Man United was like a public company at one point. I don't know if they still are, but they went public. So like anyone could have bought shares in that. Right, but then you don't really control it, right? Like you No, no, it, it's more like I'm making an decisions. owner. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Like the Green Bay Packers, I think, are owned by the residents of the town. But owning a fractional interest is not the same as deciding sure. who the coach is, who the GM is, what players sure. you're going to attract, you know, like things like that, or even the ability to move the team. Those things are the domain of the controlling owner. And I see your point. Then you have to be like, not only the, enjoy the business side of it, but you are a fan. You want to win. Yeah, you have. I mean, winning ultimately, this isn't the point of the episode, but there's obviously owners that aren't as focused on winning. You know, not going to say anything about the owner of the Knicks. Yeah, <laughs> in New York City, but people, I think everyone feels the same way about it. people do. People have various motivations, but if you own a team, you're probably making money. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's take a break, and then we'll get back, and we'll talk about one of the biggest news of the week, the most important story. Yeah, <laughs> the the most important, unfortunately, and fortunately, one of the most important stories of the last fucking few months, or so. biggest, right? Who knows how biggest. important it is, yeah. but it's a yeah. certainly big. All right, so Paul, it finally happened. The end of the trial of a century. I mean, this thing 
was the biggest reality show ever made. Johnny Depp. I mean, Amber it's not. Heard. It's not OJ. Let's not. Let's not get okay. crazy here. But but in a world it's, where we have social media, it's like you know. Yeah, it's pretty massive. I guess but a yes, lot of our audience OJ probably trial. doesn't even know about the OJ trial. But I, I know this is right. um, <laughs> this is the biggest trial in recent memory in entertainment, I would say, and it's sad because it is kind of like I want to say gossipy, but yeah. yeah, it's defamation. We did an episode about it, but Johnny Depp, you know, vindicated. I think both sides were found guilty of a little defamation. But Johnny Depp's damages were significantly multiple times more than Amber Heard's. And I think it comes as an exoneration, vindication for him that he was a victim and she's a bad actor. That's basically what the court is telling us. Yes, that's what they've summed up. And I think it was interesting because I was reading a few articles, different articles on it, because obviously some things that are saying like this is just bad because if what if other women went through something like this and the way it was celebrated, et cetera. But then on the other side, you have the public just went in favor of Depp. And like that did that help push the jury in one way? Social media was basically like Depp fans, team Depp right. all the way. And does that push a jury to make a decision if they're are they going home and opening up TikTok and then like looking at it and then looking at all the jokes and stuff like or are they not allowed to view stuff? So the Sixth Amendment is supposed to say that people should get an impartial trial. And if it's a jury trial, impartial means that it's supposed to be fair and balanced. And the information that the jury hears to make their decision is supposed to be vetted by the judge or the court, right? So anything that's not admissible evidence isn't necessarily going to impact the jury's decision. And they're also not supposed to be swayed by information that both sides don't have a chance to sort of present their arguments for and against. That's kind of the idea. So you're not supposed to be able to access outside news. And that may have worked 300 years ago, but in the digital age, it's a lot trickier to sort of enforce that because people obviously, when they leave court, they have their phones. Imagine if you weren't on the jury, how long could you go without looking at your phone? Would it be eight hours or a day? No. So clearly there's some impact of jurors looking at social media, but the instructions that they get before they go into their deliberation and throughout the process is they're really not supposed to base their decision on anything that wasn't presented in the courtroom. I don't know how you necessarily prove or disprove that, but that's the idea. And it's interesting because it actually could lead to potentially Amber Heard that maybe she could make that her grounds for appeal or she could, her team's probably thinking about that saying, well, maybe there are some jurors that were biased by social media. I mean, I don't know specifically how you would prove that or how they would say that, that they didn't get a fair trial, but that's certainly a risk. But I would say that Johnny Depp filed his suit because he felt his view, it's not like he's a super popular guy that hits women. He said, yeah, I've never yeah. hit a woman, right? Right. And she abused me, and maybe we argued, and maybe we weren't in the healthiest relationship, but I never hit her, and he stood right. by that. And that's really what he was able to convince the jury. Right. Yes, right. he's a big star, and he's a likable guy, and everyone, sort of, you know, and you know, he's an incredibly talented actor. But at the heart of the case, he's saying that she made up allegations that weren't true about being victimized, like attacked physically, attacked sexually. And Johnny Depp's like, that's just not how I roll. I've never done that in my life. And he had other people testify that they were never attacked by him. People that, you know, he's been in long, well-documented relationships. And this is what he said after. I think what's funny, and this is not to pile on Amber Heard, but after the trial, 
you know, the verdict is read and he says, you know, the most important thing, it's not the money. The most important thing is that like I cleared my name and this means a lot to me and my kids, right? Because yeah. he's got kids that are in their 20s and, and a daughter, right? And he's like, I want her to know that I'm not the kind of guy that's going to hit or beat women, right? Because that's one of his core values. And so that's his takeaway. Yeah, I, I think it's one of those things, too. I mean, it's it's like, look, it's defamation. He's saying, you said these things and it's affected my life and my work. And they weren't and- true my name and like yeah and they weren't they weren't true in my family and this is just cause whatever and this is why we're doing this now and look it doesn't just just because someone loses doesn't mean it's the end for like everyone you know in this case this is what happened this is what the jury decided his lawyers were very good her lawyers and maybe because they didn't have really much to to go with i mean we were all watching like together and it's funny after the verdict was read, you know, her lawyer, one of her lawyers said, oh, she's definitely going to appeal. And I think it's funny, not funny, but I think we should talk about this because this is a business legal podcast. So the whole point of our trial system, which is long, procedural, who knows whether it's efficient, inefficient. I mean, we're weighing cost benefit between the search for justice and making sure that no one's rights are violated and also, we have to decide things within a reasonable period of time. If every dispute took 10 years to resolve, then we wouldn't have a workable system, right? So you're not supposed to appeal or be able to appeal things just because you didn't like the result, right? It can't, it's got to be more than that. Like you have to show either there was some procedural error within the court, the way evidence was introduced, the way instructions were read mm. to the jury, or that your lawyer was incompetent or something like that, something along those lines. It's not just, hey, I didn't like this result, I'm going to appeal. Right, right, right. So it's interesting to me what her grounds for appeal are going to be. I mean, maybe she goes the my lawyers were incompetent route. I don't and I know we talked about that during our episode. One of the lawyers kind of objected to his own statement. Right. And so maybe that's the route she goes. But it's supposed to be a high bar to appeal. And The other thing is appealing is not necessarily a new trial, right? It's really just you have an appellate court go through the trial record and try to see if there were any errors based on the facts that were pled at trial. You know, were there errors? And if there's something that was not properly decided or not properly vetted, they can order a new trial. But it's not necessarily like she gets another bite of the apple. She could very well lose her appeal. Now, and one of the situations here is that how is she going to pay for this? So I was a little confused on this because I thought she had gotten money from the divorce, but she's saying that in this case, the amount of money that she owes, I think it was like net $8 million based on you know, the damages. Was it net thirteen? Yeah, because she, Depp won $10 million in compensatory and $5 million in punitive, and she got $2 million in compensatory. That's right. So the net net is thirteen. That's right. I think one of the issues is that if she can't pay for this, you know, and she can't get a job, right? I mean, let's assume that right now it's it's kind of the opposite problem. Johnny Depp, you know, let's assume that he's going to get some big breaks now in Hollywood again. And Amber Heard is, it's tough. Like, what studio, what producer, what director is going to want to work with her, given that for a movie to do well or for a series to do well, you want it to be popular. And right now she has a pretty unpopular, you know, there's an unpopular bias towards her in America right now. Yeah, but can't you see like some streaming service giving 100%. her a bunch of money to do an exclusive <laughs> yeah. or like, you know, the 100%. Amber side of the story? Or a book. What did Amber hear? Something like that. Yeah. yeah or yeah, Elon, yeah, yeah. you know, Elon could come in and be like, you know, he's got a lot of money. He's a provocative guy. Maybe she'll do a show on the 
the Trump's streaming service. I don't, I don't know. I mean, there's there's opportunities, but that's she, actually a really good point. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if Depp will come back and be like, "Look, I just wanted to get my name cleared. Like, you're good. You know, don't worry about that." It. Would be. I mean, talk about that'd be super classy. I don't know if he actually can you. If I there's any if more love there, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, yeah, he didn't show up at the end. He ended up going on this. Um, you know, he's seeing all his friends out in the pub, and and um, do you read that story? How, how he would eat chicken parm every night at the palm? <laughs> no, I did not. Is that at the palm doing? at the restaurant at the yeah at where his, his maybe he was staying at the Four Seasons or something in Northern Virginia, but he would go to the palm every night and get chicken parm and like spend a thousand bucks on wine. So some things never change. That's so funny. I wonder if he was actually staying in Washington D.C. and then traveling to Northern Virginia because I know the Four Seasons in Washington. They've got a steakhouse, so that would all make sense. Yeah, but chicken parm and wine. I hey, like man, chicken I, parm. I love it. I'd take it yeah. every day if it didn't, you know, bloat me up a bit. You know, we'll see what we'll we'll see what you have. You know, there was a go one thing the Daily Mail reported there was a GoFundMe account that was going around raising a million dollars for her, saying that it was from her and her team, and it got shut down after they found out that it wasn't actually Amber Heard and her team. So, you know, who knows what's gonna happen in the coming weeks, but we'll follow it. Plus there's the whole seven million she said she was gonna donate to the ACLU, which she didn't. I mean, it's like it's messy. Messy situation for messy, sure. Messy situations. Let's take a break and we'll get back to our, I guess, other main topic of this week. Okay, Paul. So Hollywood and VPNs, controversy, all sorts of issues here. Yeah. Why don't you tee us up and tell us what's going on? So being an entertainment lawyer, having started my career at Marvel Disney, I mean, I know how serious copyright infringement and piracy is. Online piracy, just to throw some facts at you, I think tens of billions of hours of content are watched illegally in the U.S. a year, hundreds of billions if you tally up the whole world. So there's very valuable content that people are accessing without paying for it. And this is not a secret, right? It's been going on forever and ever. And it's less of an issue for music now because we have things like Spotify and Apple Music and Amazon Music so people can essentially pay a monthly fee and listen to whatever they want, right? And they're willing to do it and not infringe. You know, I'll pay whatever, $9.99 a month to listen to whatever music I want to listen to. And that's basically worked and the artists are doing well. And so we have streaming services, but there's a lot of, competing illegal streaming services that are put up. One example, which we'll discuss later, is Liquid VPN, which basically described itself as a Netflix for pirates. So you could go to their website <laughs> and they would have a really nice user interface and show all these different tiles of movies and you could watch them for free. And maybe they actually did charge some amount. I don't know what their profit mechanism was. Maybe it was ad-based, but they had a ton of content that was illegally obtained or at least they were distributing it without a license from the copyright owner. And they, along with a lot of other VPNs, try to escape liability by saying, well, they're just basically service providers and they're not distributing the content and they don't host the content. And so merely they're just kind of like intermediaries. And we can discuss that, but that's essentially copyright, the Digital Millennial Copyright Act in 1998 basically took copyright law into the 21st century, rather, by basically creating a, a mechanism for copyrights to be exploited online and also an infringement regime. So 
you know, because prior to the age of the internet, you couldn't necessarily make one-to-one identical copies and share them with a million people, right? So that required an expansion of copyright law. And there's a safe harbor that the DMCA creates, which if you're an online service provider or a host of a website like YouTube or Facebook or, you know, whatever, Google, you can basically avoid copyright infringement liability. So if your content is being infringed, right, then you could notify the website, the online service provider, and let them know that you own content that someone else who doesn't have the right to use it or display it is using, and they have to take it down under the DMCA. And if there's uh, someone, a bad actor that's repeatedly infringing content, then they should disable that person's access. Where this gets really tricky is VPNs. And so VPNs are, it stands for Virtual Private Network. I think a lot of people use them. Uh, I certainly oh, yeah. use them to work from home, you know, ever since, well, really before the pandemic, but mostly during the pandemic when we, you know, I work at a major law firm, we have really strict security procedures. So we're not allowed to basically take anything off the the firm servers. So if we're going right. to access things or use the public internet, we have to do it through a VPN because it's the only way to host a secure connection over the public internet. So basically what that means is wherever you are, you know, let's say I'm in location NYC, right? And, you know, I can log in to a server, which might be in Miami, that's hosted by my law firm, whether on my device, my mobile device, or my laptop here in NYC. And then I can access things in Miami. And so it'll appear as if literally my computer's in Miami because that's what the VPN right. does. Right. So the secure server is in Miami. That's where the files are. That's where the, everything's encrypted. And then the connection to New York is really kind of just virtual. And there's it's not like anything is being transferred from Miami to New York. It's all happening essentially as if I were in Miami. And that's the, the basic justification for VPNs is privacy and security. But the flip side of it, most things in law, things that are good can also have negative side effects or consequences. People use VPNs to violate copyright restrictions and geographic restrictions. So you can use a, and, and you you can talk about it being, you know, from Pakistan, a lot of people overseas will use VPNs to access U.S. versions of shows, right? Because sure. if you have Netflix and you're accessing it from an IP address in India, you're not going to get U.S. The American shows. Shows. Or some of them, at least. Yeah, I, you know, it's been interesting because, look, I, I grew up in Pakistan. I go back a few times a year. It's very, very common for people to use VPNs. If YouTube is banned, then you use a VPN to access YouTube in another country. If you want to watch, to your point, stuff on Netflix or you want to watch stuff on HBO Max that you normally don't have access to in other countries, you use a VPN to get access to, like, the UK or to the US to watch those shows. They still might be paying Though they still might be paying or, you know, one of their family members who lives in the U.S. is paying for the service, but they're accessing it via VPN, which is interesting because it's one of, you know, it's like, how do you tell someone? I get it from like a copyright standpoint, but they're like, we just want to watch these shows like we'll pay for it in the U.S. We'll pay for it or wherever it is. We just want access to it. Right. But that's not how these things are. I mean, from. A, no, I know. I know. I'm from just saying a, from their standpoint, I get why they would perspective, do it. It's like you license content and you limit it to territories. So for example, right. if I do a deal with Netflix or let's say we did a deal, right? With Spotify for Better Call sure. Paul. And they said, we want worldwide rights. And we were like, no, we're going to give you US rights. And you have to make sure that anyone accessing Spotify 
outside the U.S. can't get Better Call Paul, right? Well, right. not that we would do that. I'm just saying hypothetically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If yeah. the license were limited to a particular territory, presumably it's because you think you can divide up all the territories and monetize them separately, which is your right to do as a copyright sure. owner. Sure. So putting aside the fact that there may be some security and privacy benefits to VPNs, Hollywood's position or the entertainment yes. industry's position is that VPNs are an enormous loophole to copyright infringement. And some of these bad actors. So like you said, sometimes there's a legitimate reason to use a VPN and being an entertainment lawyer, I'm a little bit biased because I think my clients that are making content should be able to get full market price for them. But if they want to allow something to be distributed worldwide, that's sort of on them. And, and a lot of times like these streaming services are creating specific shows and slates of shows for multiple countries or for sure. specific countries. So like Amazon's investment in creating content in India is huge, right? And yeah. it's supposed to yeah. tailor to that audience. So I get it, but fundamentally, Hollywood's problem is that some of these VPNs are really negligent or beyond that, they're reckless. Liquid VPN is a good example of this. They were sued last September. They were advertising themselves as, like I said, free Netflix or Netflix for pirates. They were like, use our site and download stuff, watch it for free without fear of getting shut down or taken down or stopped or interrupted. And the marketing was really, really aggressive. And the other thing is they don't take logs of the people that use their networks. So they're basically like, we're going to look the other way. Whatever IP address you're accessing from, we're not going to store that. So if someone sues us, they're not going to get that information. And Hollywood's point is like, that's such a subterfuge, right? Like we understand there may be a reason to sort of promote privacy and not be tracked. But at the same time, if you are basically disregarding where people are accessing content from, and if someone's downloading hundreds of movies and you're looking the other way as to where they're getting it from or where they're storing it, you know, that's not okay. And that's the main purpose of these lawsuits is to say you have to, within, within the DMCA, you have to have a repeat infringer policy, meaning people have to create accounts. You have to be able to monitor what people are doing on your network so that if someone's violating law, you can stop it, or at least there's a record of it. Yeah. And so from that standpoint, totally agree. Like, if you are downloading stuff illegally and people are not making money from it and you are hiding yourself and by using these platforms and able to, you know, escape, I get it. And that makes perfect sense. It's like they're almost allowing you to be a pirate, but then, you know, kind of turning the other way. I guess the examples I was giving was a bit different because I was like, oh, why don't people like I've always been like, why aren't we getting this here yet? Like why? Like they can clearly tell that everybody wants to watch the show and are willing to pay for it. But I guess well, yeah, that's a separate thing, right? And that, yeah, that totally separate. That, that could be like, hey, like Netflix, Amazon. Why don't you let your U.S. shows be watched overseas if someone's totally. willing? You know, like just dub it or whatever. I mean that that's sure. a set, that's a business thing, right? And if yeah. if they got a permission or a license to do it, that's one thing. But I think there's a, probably a middle ground between, you know, what these sites like Liquid VPN are doing. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. For sure. Someone who's just like lives in the U.S. but goes to Pakistan or India a couple months a year and wants to be able to watch their favorite show when they're sure. traveling. Like sure. that's and they pay if they're if they have a and paying they pay subscription. For it. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's less damaging than if someone's just completely just taking content for yeah. free. And and I I'm with you on the content for free thing. Well, there's a just a very easy seamless way to get it you know, legally now. And so, yeah. That's and it's also like, you don't want it. Like you do want people like they make stuff, pay for them for the stuff they do versus right. like torrenting shit all the time. And I, I've never been one to use like torrent, you know, right. 
all those other ones like the uh, that was always one it just always felt like icky but also like i don't want all this crap on my computer with whatever potential viruses it might have but it's like how much effort do you go through to like not pay for something well that's the thing i mean like i listen i represent content owners and content studios so i would never do that and and i also like i i don't think there's any reason to because listen i mean maybe uh, this is me being in an ivory tower but Netflix, Disney, they spend billions of dollars yeah. creating content. Yeah. And over a long enough time period, if everyone pirates everything, there won't be a reason to create content. Like the incentive to create content will disappear and just no one will make it anymore. If there's no way to protect your content, then there's no value to it. So I think just like, you know, people need to earn fair wages, people need to be able to be compensated for their content. And I know, I agree. you know, like, listen, this is not a soapbox and and there should be. The other thing is like a lot of content is free online and it's fine. Yeah. Like you can access content yeah. for free online. Maybe you have to watch ads and sit through advertisement. It's not like, you know, just it, it, it's just stealing, right? Just because it's over the internet doesn't make it, it not stealing. It, it, it's like the same people that don't pay for a pay-per-view and they're looking for the free stream. It's just, dude, like a lot of times, the people, especially with fights and stuff, like just pay for it or like go to right. a buddy's house and watch it together. Like, you know, go Dutch on it or something. Right. I mean, like, would you go to a restaurant and leave before the bill? Came? I mean, no, ex exactly. And, I, and I, right. I feel very much that way about like I paid for every single every single fight or everything I've had to pay for. I've paid for anything that I could have potentially have found a stream for. I've always paid for it because one, I believe in like, look, that's what they charge. That's the content they're creating. But two, the experience is just going to be better. Like right. to go if through you want all free that content, effort. listen to Better Call Paul. You know, like, <laughs> what can I tell you? I'm with Hollywood on this. Although there's a cost benefit between privacy, I do think these VPN platforms should be logging the IP addresses of people that are accessing them and at least doing something about repeat infringers. Because otherwise, if these loopholes swallow the demand for content, then the supply is going to disappear. Yeah. But and it's, interestingly, Liquid VPN's lawyers didn't show up. So the <laughs> we don't know what's happened with the case. They never showed up to court or responded. So I oh, assume man. the company went bankrupt. <laughs> Seems like on brand. Yeah. <laughs> well, all right, folks. Well, that is our show for this week. And next week, you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit about the Tribeca Film Festival because it's going to be on. And, and I want to actually check out what movies are playing. Maybe even go check out a couple things. But, Paul, great as always. Let's go see Top Gun. And Let's do it. Hopefully everyone has a great week and also goes watch Top Gun. But make sure you're subscribed to us on the podcast, Apple, Spotify, wherever you choose to listen. And follow us on Instagram at Better Call Paul the Podcast. That's right. This episode is edited and produced by Valentino Rivera, Marco Seiler Gonzalez, with assistant producer Justin Sanchez and assistant research producer Haas Nasser. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you next week. Take care. Feel better, Mesh. Thanks. Thanks.